Hello and welcome back to another episode of Make Container. I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who left a review on iTunes um, this week. Honestly, like I love like reading all the reviews and messages. So yeah, thank you so much. And this kind of brings me on really nicely to this week's episode. But just before I jump into it, this episode is brought to you by Healthy Nibbles. And they've done a free from allergy snap box that is completely allergen safe and free from all the top 14 major allergens. And I was actually looking over the lockdown for an allergy-free snap box. And a lot of the products I've seen in the boxes had like the kind of the may contain label on the products which obviously did make me feel very comfortable. So it's great to see that Healthy Nibbles are working really close to the brands and that none of the products are gonna have that may contain label on them and all the products are handled in a totally safe environment. So yeah, it kind of fills me with confidence that the snacks are eating gonna be completely safe for my allergies. I will leave a link in my bio to the Healthy Nibbles snack box. I also leave a link in my description as well. So yeah, make sure to check it out. And this leads on really nicely. So this week's guest come joined by Sarah Roberts, who's the founder of Healthy Nibbles. And honestly, at the end of this podcast, so empowered and inspired by this podcast with Sarah and I'm honestly so so excited to kind of share this episode with you because we, we talk about so many different topics from her being an entrepreneur and like the different challenges she faced we kind of delve in really deep and I love how honest and open Sarah was on the podcast we couldn't kind of really talk about mental health and how it influences us and what we do to kind of manage it and yeah, it's just a great podcast. And obviously we got onto the topic of obviously Healthy Nibbles and how she set up Healthy Nibbles and kind of story and journey behind that. And we spoke about her parents and how they kind of influenced us. And she even spoke very openly about her experiences with bullying and how she had to leave school with no qualifications and how she overcome it. So yeah, it's a really open and honest podcast episode. So get yourself comfortable, get yourself a cup of tea and let's get to it. I'm joined by Sarah Roberts, who I'm very, very, very excited to have on the podcast today. Um, how are you, Sarah? Really good, thanks, and thanks for having me on. No, it's been a pleasure, obviously, the founder of Healthy Nibbles, and yeah, it's amazing, obviously, to kind of talk a little bit further about that on the podcast. But before we kind of jump into that, how's it been, obviously, dealing with COVID and kind of the struggles, and obviously a lot of people working from home now, have you had to kind of manage to adapt very quickly to that? Yeah, absolutely. So for Healthy Nibbles, we've really gone through a tremendous sort of transformation and growth over the last 12 months. Our core sort of element of the business prior to COVID was very much around health food in vending machines and doing large scale corporate boxes. And after lockdown, that all stopped. So we've moved very much into doing um, boxes direct into people, consumers all over the world, and also for businesses sending employee care packs, again, all over the world. So a lot of hard work, but obviously we've grown through it. So not one to complain. Absolutely. Would you say you've got like a, a closer kind of relationship now to kind of the customers using the products, obviously, because obviously learning from obviously COVID and kind of your experiences there, do you feel like you've kind of got a closer relationship now to kind of the clients? Um, I think it's given us a different perspective, certainly. Um, one of the things that we've always been really passionate about, just as far as the business is concerned, is having that close relationship with our customers. Um, and even though the with the business side, the economic buyer is obviously the companies, the, the actual people that are enjoying the snacks and getting the benefit of them are the employees. Um, so actually, that's no different to somebody ordering a box for home. So... You know, I think it's given us that that sort of um, more understanding about what people would like in terms of having home deliveries, um, a wider 
understanding of different dietary needs, um, just in terms of having the, those sort of conversations. And we've done a number of sort of new products as a result of that. But it's, yeah, it, it's been interesting, giving us just sort of just a greater depth of knowledge, which is always really good to have, because then you can make sure that you have got an ongoing product fit. Absolutely. And I think we'll definitely kind of discuss that in kind of more detail, obviously your kind of allergy free from range um, later on in the podcast. But I kind of really want to talk about kind of your upbringing, your life, because obviously doing research about yourself and every guest I have on the podcast, I always try and gather as much kind of knowledge as I can about yourself. And um, you've had a really like kind of fascinating life. Obviously, you've kind of lived in New Zealand um, and you lived in Africa at one point. Can we talk about obviously kind of your upbringing? Did you move to New Zealand at a really young age? Yeah, I was about seven. Uh, so my, my dad got a job over there. And it was actually for me, it was a really, really fun time. It was what it's interesting because it wasn't actually for that long. It was for a few years, but it wasn't actually, you know, in the grand scale of things, it wasn't the, for that long. But it's a, it was a must have been at that sort of pivotal, real anchor point in a child's memory because I always just sort of remember growing up in New Zealand. The school experiences were really positive. Doing homework on the beach, never a bad thing, um, you know, and just and just having that real sort of outdoorsy lifestyle, which I really, I you know, I really enjoyed. Absolutely, it was really good. Did you did you move quite a lot then, being quite young with your parents' jobs? Were they were they were they business owners as well? Is that correct? They were business owners, but it wasn't so much we moved. That was just one single ex- experience, but we kind of it was that or Yorkshire because they were grew up in Yorkshire. Um, so it was either, yeah, Yorkshire girl or New Zealand girl, either way. Um, so yeah, we just, just went between the two, but, um, yeah, those were the, the, the sort of two fundamental, I would say two fundamental cultures that have got me to where I am today. Absolutely. It must be like quite obviously insightful to kind of have both them experiences, which obviously I can imagine very different, like living. Would you say as well with, with your parents, are they... Obviously, you'd be an entrepreneur, which we'll kind of kind of delve into. But was you very much kind of influenced by your parents, obviously, to, to obviously later in life become an entrepreneur? I, yes and no, in as much as I don't recall ever being one of those kids that sort of, you know, where you hear, I don't know, people at six, seven years old deciding they're going to be in business and that was it. I don't remember ever having that specific aha moment, but I do remember not being able to find my place. I went through a, a sort of fairly serious um, sort of bullying experience at sort of 14. That meant I left school, um, no qualifications or anything. I dabbled with the idea of the, the Royal Air Force. Um, and I think... There were a few sort of strands that led into it. And obviously having your parents as entrepreneurs, I absolutely, my, you know, I remember doing jobs for my dad. I remember going into my dad's workplace quite a lot. I remember, you know, seeing my grandmother stressing over, she was doing bookkeeping in the original format, the double entry and stressing over a penny. And I went in and gave her a penny of my pocket money and said she didn't have to look for it anymore. You know, I remember those sorts of sort of fun experiences, which obviously sort of do influence where I am now. Um, but I think it was more sort of life experience, having sort of moving, have it, you do get a certain amount of confidence through moving into a different country, just as by the very nature of it. 
So I think having that element, having the bullying experience and then having to sort of like almost rebuild build myself at a fairly young age because um, it was it was quite traumatic. So and then not being able to really find my feet and thinking that actually I do want to work for myself. Um, and that probably happened when I was, I don't know, probably 17, 18. So still pretty young, but not like some of the budding entrepreneurs where you see where they're sort of really really young where they were selling lemonade or something <laughs> so yeah, yeah but still fairly young yeah yeah because yeah, I think I think there's a lot of pressure like these days you know obviously you should know what you want when when you're 16 or 17 or you've got to make them kind of big decisions and I, I remember being in school and you, you've got to decide where you're going to do a placement and it'd be quite nerve-wracking um so I mean really sorry to obviously what happened when when you was 14 when you did move back to the UK do you think do you think that that experience probably changed you a lot kind of going forward and moving forward from that oh fundamentally absolutely I was 14 years old I was beaten up so many times I just lost count I ended up being pushed in front of a truck when I was 14 uh, thankfully he stopped he saw me um and they were going round around about so that was good in that sense um I think fundamentally that does change you because um, I didn't want to go back into the schooling system and see. So I essentially went from grade A student to actually zero interest in, in school. I think I did go through probably about a year after that with proper little pity party being completely rebellious and probably driving my parents absolutely nuts. Um, but I think when you start to find your feet after an experience like that, you do so with a whole lot, with your eyes a lot more wide open than if you'd have gone through an idyllic sort of experience. Um, and I was exactly like you said, I, I wasn't one of those kids that really, you know, knew what they wanted to do. I remember meeting, um, my best, well, she's my best friend now. And she was, I think, eight or nine when she said she wanted to be a doctor. And she is a GP practice manager now. It's like incredible. I've just never had that experience. So, um, yeah, so I think it did, it did frame me. It made me more resilient because you get over hurdles. You know, I, I didn't do my GCSEs, but I knew that I wanted to go to university. So I worked hard and managed to get really good, a really good opportunity actually where somebody, um, accepted my application into a college to do A-levels without doing all the GCSEs first, just based on other sort of merits. And I think it makes you work twice as hard because then, because she did that, I didn't want to fail her. So I did, you know, really, really well. And that then led into university. So I think it does put a sort of fire behind you, very much so. Yeah, I mean, credit for kind of your resilience and like it must have been so hard then kind of to rebuild your confidence again to to you know but I'm, I'm better than these people you know what I mean to kind of I, I can't imagine kind of what you went through um what did you kind of decide then to, to do at university when you kind of decided then to, to go on that merit I ended up doing a one of the first degrees in the UK that was in event management um and actually it was really really good um very very practical covered all sorts of different aspects including things like I don't know, contract negotiations and all of those things, but it actually it was super practical. It had, um, I got some amazing work experience out of that. And it was a, yeah, it was a real sort of ground, grounding opportunity. 
And I didn't have the usual student experience because I was so focused at that stage. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's a really good experience, really positive. And um, yeah, it was a fun course. Did, did you know, so you, you went to university and you did like events management. Did you know then what it was like you wanted to, did you knew that was the area you wanted to do? Or was you still, would you say, kind of finding your feet and experimenting and kind of, because me, for me personally, like I got out of university and you do, I did a few placements, realized that area wasn't quite right for me. How was your experience then kind of finding that first job? I think initially it was great. And I had, a, again, another very unorthodox sort of finding my first job, really. Um, so I got an amazing work placement through a personal connection at the NEC group in Birmingham. So obviously major events destination. Um Tremendous experience working on um, TV shows and for BMW and for Honda and some really, really cool names. I then left university and moved up to um, Scotland at the time and with immediate, like immediate um, straight after leaving, I got offered contract roles and events. So I have never actually worked for anyone else. I've always worked for myself. It just, it organically came and I organically built it. So yeah, it was, it was great. I think the events industry for me was, I enjoyed it. I got to a point probably about 10 years after graduating where I wanted more strategy. I wanted to know the ins and outs of what was going on behind the company. And that led me in a slightly different direction. So I ended up more on the brand and the culture of businesses and understanding that and how they then bring that to life through the business and through the employee experience and through the actual um their customer experience so slight change but it was a it was a really really good start really strong start so did you work in events management for 10 years and then or did you would you have this company for a few years and then you then you kind of like you said got the contracts yourself and work for work for yourself yeah, so I worked for myself straight out of university. Then oh, wow. it okay. was probably five, six years thereafter, I um, moved out to Africa with my husband. And we moved out to Kenya. And at that point, I was doing some events. Um, but that's where I got the interest more around the cultural identity of companies and started doing. So actually, my husband and I set a brand and innovation agency up in Nairobi. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Exciting stuff. How was that? Well, how was that experience then? Was it so? Did you both go out there? Was it due to business opportunities at the time and and somewhere obviously very different from the UK? We went out there because um, my parents have a charity, and um, so oh, they've wow. got all sorts of activities that they're involved in, and we went just for a holiday really to see. Um, what was going on and I'd been saying to my husband I'd really like to go somewhere abroad why don't we go try you know we don't have kids let's go do it, make the most of it um so jumping on the plane back and he's like why don't we move to Kenya I was like okay fair enough so we literally got, went home sold everything in our house um within three weeks and returned with two suitcases that is mad would you say you're quite spontaneous in terms of like maybe like sometimes you do like live in the moment like yeah let, let's do this otherwise I might regret it when I look back on it do you feel like do you feel like would you say that in these moments you do like yeah let's just go for it and see what happens to a certain degree yeah I I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a sort of 
mega risk risk taker but yeah it's moments like this when you relate back and think gosh I must be absolutely crazy (laughs) I don't know yeah I'm not quite so sure um but I think there is an element of spontaneity and I think there is an element of understanding what risk that you can actually see um that's why all these stupid questions around where do you see yourself from five years from now because it's just a waste of time um, I think there is taking those opportunities. We don't always get really amazing opportunities. And when we do, I think there's, an, there's a, a merit to following those unless it's either stupid or dangerous. I think, you know, we should, life is for experiencing and we should go out and experience what it has to offer. And everybody's journey is different, but it's through that, through those opportunities to have different experiences that you can bring and add value to other roles in the future. Um, and to other people's lives in the future, not just about work. It's it's just that life experience. And I think it's important, um, and I think you've discussed this um, on a post before, but I think it's so important, like like you said, to kind of take a step back and kind of appreciate what, what, what it is you've actually achieved. Because I think sometimes life can go 110 miles per hour and you can do all these amazing kind of accomplishments, but I think sometimes you do need to kind of take a step back. Yeah, I would say absolutely. And it's not one of my strongest points is that because... I've even had experiences where even with the business now, we, you know, we win an award and I barely even, it barely registers by the next day because the next day has its own challenges. Um, But I also think, you know, I remember somebody saying to me years ago, whenever you celebrate or commiserate, do so for 24 hours because after that life's moved on. And there is an element of that as well. So there's an element of reflection and sort of, you know, this was absolutely amazing but it can actually work in your favor if you don't linger too much, because if you linger too much on the brilliant stuff, you can get a bit big headed and it can go right away with you. If you linger on the negative stuff, then you can end up going on a downward spiral. So I think there is an element of sort of appreciating where you are, appreciating what you're doing through life and then, yeah, moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think that leads on quite nicely to um, like mental health. And I know you've, you spoke about obviously staying very fit and active and getting up at four fit in the morning, which I don't know how you do it with kids. Doesn't um, happen all the time. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like? <laughs> do you think? Do you think exercise has played a massive role in terms of with obviously? Because I imagine it, your job can be very high pressured at times. Do you think um, kind of keeping fit and exercising has kind of helped you feel more focused and helped your mental health? It a hundred percent does, and I noticed so. Being completely real, I've had weeks where I've not actually jumped on the Peloton or I've not gone out and done a great deal. And I feel it, absolutely. And I think that is, I was going to say an entrepreneurial dilemma, but I don't think it is. I think it's more and more we're getting busy in life. And I think if you let life take over um, and knock out that balance, it does affect you. I 100% know that it's a really really vicious cycle if you don't exercise then your mental health isn't as strong then you don't necessarily make the best food choices but then when you combine all of that you don't necessarily sleep as well and then when you haven't when you've got all of those out of kilter then you're in a position where your decision making is massively adjusted your ability to write reflect make make choices um all of those different things. And also, I think from a mental health perspective, what is essentially can often be a tiny problem suddenly becomes an absolutely monumental problem because you are caught up in this sort of vicious cycle of 
the wrong chemicals because you've made crap food choices or you haven't gone out and done your exercise. So yeah. you're just not not yourself. So absolutely, we're one of the fundamental aspects behind what we do as a business, but also what I try to do. And it is a journey. It's not an every, you know, not every single day do I meet every single water target and go and do the exercise that I want to do and, you know, have the downtime. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes for me, it definitely goes in weak chunks, you know, where I've lost like four weeks because there's something pressing going on. And again, that's back to the whole sort of mental health, making sure that you appreciate what you have done and build on that rather than sort of beat yourself up about what you haven't done. In actual fact, I've been reading a really, really cool book called Atomic Habits. And it's really about these minute sort of almost fractional changes that you make on a day-to-day basis. And that's what you focus on. And if you do that every single day, then when you get back to, you know, when you reflect after 12 months, the changes are phenomenal. And I think that that's what I'm trying to work on at the moment. No, it's so interesting you said that. I've actually downloaded the book on Amazon. I've just never got around to like reading it. It's great because you download you download all these books. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to read this. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've, I've read bits or kind of um, kind of a few kind of quotes from the book and stuff. And yeah, it is fascinating. All these really small, really minute changes that might not mean anything day to day, but if you have a look over the course of, like you said, 12 months, then it's a massive change. I think what really resonated with me, what you said, was to to know or understand yourself when you are overworking yourself. And it's so funny because my mum constantly hits me with this one. She's like, Dan, you're overworking yourself. And, 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 and it's hard sometimes because I've got a, a full-time job, um, which is a, a lot of responsibility. And then obviously, in my spare time is then I'm trying to do as much content or do the podcast. And um, I think there's times where I definitely feel it and I, I feel really quite low. I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's depression. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I feel like this there's parts where I'm definitely overworked or a bit worn out. My mum's like, just take a week off making tain and just, just sleep and <laughs> just enjoy. Um, do you feel like sometimes you kind of need to kind of, like say, take the foot off the gas sometimes when, when times do where you kind of feel yourself becoming a bit kind of overwhelmed. Yes, absolutely. And I think she says that with having just done, you know, several weeks straight through. So knowing exactly that, I think there's an element of realism. And actually, I was doing a podcast with somebody the other day and we're both female founders. And somebody said, we we come across like it's very easy. Um because we've both got kids, the kids are both about the same age, and it isn't easy at all. And I think what what you have to be aware, and I, I think it's not just from a, an, again, not just from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also just anybody in business, I think you have to be aware that there are lots of different dynamics. For, for me to run this business, I have got the most amazing husband who, A, works in the business, but supports massively. I've got friends that support. Um, I happen to have a very, very mature 13-year-old who is who loves getting involved in this journey. And But at the same time, there's also, I miss friends' birthdays. I, My best friend, I can probably go three, three, four months without even speaking to her. Thankfully, we're very, very good at picking stuff up very quickly. Yeah. I can go 
you know, a few weeks without exercise. I can actually go for several, you know, throughout the day without even eating and just not think about it. Or literally, dare I say, it's graze from healthy nibble snacks, um, which may be great, but it's not supposed to replace your whole meal, <laughs> you know, your whole your whole food uh, food source for the day. Um, so I do think things slip and I do think it's, we need to be more honest and more truthful about it. Um, I think at the same time, as far as, yes, I, I do, I know when it's getting too much, um, and we'll just go off grid. And if it's a couple of days, that's it. It's fine. Um, haven't, haven't built up to going off grid for two weeks yet. (laughs) That's the goal. Um, but yeah, I definitely, if I can sense that it is getting too much, then I'll take an afternoon off. Um, but I know full well that like, for instance, this weekend I've worked all weekend. So me taking an afternoon midweek, you know, for the most part, our clients will perfectly survive and our team are amazing. So I think, you know, it's, it's making sure that, you're surround, you've got a really, really good support system. You've got people that can, that love you for who you are, whether you are successful in what you're doing or not, um, that are honest enough to say, right, you definitely need to stop. Um, and we'll make that way around you to make sure that you can stop. But also know that there are times in, in work, well, certainly I experienced times in the business where if it's essential for me to work through. It, it needs it needs to happen, whether that's a fundraise or whether it's a rebrand or whatever it may be. But we're going through something big and it's not going to be a nine till five Monday to Friday um, opportunity. It's, it's definitely not. So I think it's it is sort of swings and roundabouts. I think it's being aware of it. And I do think the rise of mental health and, you know, if anything at all good has come out of this COVID experience, it has been a spotlight on health, well-being and mental health. So I think, you know, taking all of those elements, I think you just become more aware of what you're going through and how to how best to cope and just make sure you've got that sort of strong ecosystem around you as best you can. Um, and I do think it's becoming more publicly acceptable to say, actually, do you know what? No, this is really rubbish experience or I am suffering and more people are rallying around each other, which I think is really important. So, you know, that's a culture that we adopt in our business is, you know, you can have a really, really rubbish day. It's fine. But, you know, come back in the next day and just feel, you know, you know, that was the previous day. If people are struggling, you know, say something. We have open communication that is if an employee said something, they're not doing so, so thinking that me as the founder are going to look at them any differently. It's just literally a totally based on honesty. And I think that that's important. So I think if you, if you're kind of, if you're someone that's in a working environment and it's not driven by that, then move if it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for being so like open and honest about that. And I think like, yeah, mental health is, is more at the forefront and it's great to see people talking about it. Cause I've had like friends kind of reach out to me and um, guys being like, you know what I am done. I am really struggling. And we kind of talk through it together. And I think it's great that more of my male friends are now kind of being like more kind of open to talk about the feelings. Cause I think like some guys sometimes don't always do that. And um, I know, um, I've definitely, I mean, it's interesting because like with the podcast as well, like I, I never really kind of spoke about mental health like two, two, three years ago. Um, 
but it's, it's great now to kind of speak with the guests and kind of talk about it because I mean if it helps one person kind of speak to someone or speak to one of the friends about it I think that that's that's what's so important really I did want to and I did want to discuss with you as well obviously being a female in business and I spoke to Julianne um, from Creative Nature I know that's one of the brands you work with um, yeah, at Healthy Nibbles <laughs> She is amazing. Yeah. And she, I remember when she was kind of talking about getting angel investors and a lot of the investors were saying, oh, you're a little girl or they didn't take her seriously. Have you kind of ever experienced that being a woman in business where like, because you're a woman that they've not took you as serious and how have you kind of managed that? 100%. Um, and Julianne and I have talked about this lots because it, it is something that happens quite, quite frequently. I remember being um, at a pitch in London and somebody said, well, let's face it, it's just a lifestyle business that you've got because you're female, you're in a country, you know, country bumpkin, female, basically, you're not in London. Um, it can't be that serious what you're doing and you're in the health and well-being space anyway. So it just all stacked up against um, what we were trying to do and... Yeah, we've had that quite frequently. In fact, it was what it was once quite funny that um so as a, as I mentioned my husband works in the business and but he's actually very very introvert and doesn't do all the networking stuff. But for one of the events he came um with us and there was myself and a female coworker um we do all the new business stuff and people were going up to him asking him about the business and at the same event I got asked who I was with. And who my partner was there. And it's like, really, you, you're doing that in the 21st century? Um, so, yeah, I think it does still exist, um, no matter what anybody says. I think some of the work that I'm doing with Women's Enterprise at Scotland, sorry, um, you know, it says that basically some of the data behind that is that if women started business at the same rate as men, we'd be 7 billion up on the economy. Um and then you know, a couple of years ago, there was the Rose Review, which I'm sure if you've spoken to Julianne, that's probably come up in that conversation as well. But, yeah. you know, just um, the amount of VC funding that females get access to is is actually quite ridiculous. And it should be shaming, actually, um, especially given the fact that quite a lot of female founded businesses or businesses where there is a female present in a senior position there is a lot more emotional stability typically in the organization and I think that that's important to note but I also think it's important to note that there's very few businesses out there that are, are dealing with a specific gender or a specific um, type of consumer a lot of people are, or a lot of businesses are dealing with a lot of different people that's that's the nature of business so therefore, I think it's absolutely imperative that you have a board and you have a team that reflect that. You should have such a diverse, you know, we, we actually at the moment, I've just been doing some analysis, we're at 80% female. And it's not an intention is that and we're actually saying we could probably do with swinging it a bit the other way, actually, to get some more guys in there and just have, have that diversity. But we do absolutely drive that diversity and inclusion message within the business and I think it's so important I think it's so important I think it's so important like more kind of companies aware you know what I mean of diversity and gender balance to make sure 
you know what I mean? It is even across the board. And I, I was going to mention as well, obviously, you as a mentor for the Women's Enterprise Scotland. Um, I was going to say, what what would your piece of advice be for kind of a young girl wanting to become an armchair um, and the kind of different challenges she might have to face? I think know what type of business that you want to actually be involved in. It's my, my obviously, or it has been my number one piece of advice. Um, too often when you go into incubate, incubator settings and things like that, you go in and they're on about exits within three, four, five years. Um, that immediately sets the tone for what they're expecting from you as the type of business. But actually, you might be quite happy building up, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60K salary but you're an entrepreneur in your own right. You might be a sole trader entrepreneur, but that's what you are. Equally so, you might want to be a global multinational. Both are totally credible. And I think, first of all, know what you're wanting to do. Know what's important to you. Um, fundamentally, know your values because somebody will try and floor them in some way, shape or form. They'll try and swing you in one in one direction or another. Um Know what you're willing to give away if you are going to give away your business. And there's so many. So the, the Women's Entrepreneur, um, Enterprise Scotland has just set up a women's business centre. And it is specifically for advice for female founders. And I think that that is really, really interesting. A, that there's a need for doing that. But B, um, the way that information like that is presented is is very much needed. And I think it's about sort of going through that sort of process in the beginning of what are my expectations? What do I want to achieve? How much effort do I want to put in it? What do I want my work-life balance to look like? Do you have a really good idea and being honest with yourself? A me too is not necessarily a brilliant idea. I mean, Julianne's been working, you know, really, really hard with creative nature. The amount of people that we've had that will come along and say, oh, I've got something similar. It's like, we don't want something similar. You know, they're amazing. We want something new. We want something different. And their own voice, yeah. Yeah, and I think so having that credibility, having that authenticity around what you are. So it's kind of, I would say that single, lots of pieces of advice is actually probably all wrapped up in authenticity. So know what you're wanting to create, know that you've got a really damn good product um, or service and don't be swayed by what other people are trying to tell you. Because every Absolutely, yeah. Because I think I think as well, like you are your own brand. You know what I mean? Like the the kind of the way you the way you speak or what you say. You know what I mean? I think you've always got to be true to yourself and be authentic. And I think people kind of resonate with that. You know what I mean? When when you do have a, have a voice and you you're confident in what you say, um, and like you said, you're not swayed by other people's kind of experiences and it kind of knocks you down. But if you kind of stick by what you believe in, I think it's so important. I did really want to discuss with you, um, I can't believe we spoke about so much already, but um, help, um, healthy nibbles. I can't believe it's been so long. <laughs> I feel like we've, honestly, the podcast is, I've been really, really enjoyed it so far. Obviously, kind of talking about your bringing and mental health and women in business, but it'd be great to kind of discuss um, healthy nibbles and how that idea kind of come about. Yeah, sure. So um, that was um, me looking for, so I had returned from, the, from Africa I was looking for an opportunity, didn't want to get back into branding, but didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was kind of doing that whole sort of self beating yourself up about, oh my goodness, I've just no good ideas. 
Um, and then at that same point, I went through a personal sort of fairly dark spot with my dad um, getting cancer. Um, so pootling about the hospital one night, absolutely starving. It was three o'clock in the morning and I wanted something to eat. The only solution was a vending machine. And next to it was this giant poster saying diabetes and obesity kill. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. So you're giving me a warning about everything that I shouldn't be eating. And then you're actually only presenting me with the food that I shouldn't be eating. Um, and had a rather morbid thought of eat this and die and sort of wandered off thinking, well, that was just ridiculous. Um, but I think with that experience and with my dad, it was a lifestyle related cancer. All of those things sort of subconsciously coming together to actually say that, you know, we're in places of either ill health or performance within the workplace or convenience with your in a bus station or whatever. And you're trying to get something healthy. We know, we know that we have a mega, mega problem with diabetes, sorry, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, all of these horrible diseases. 40% of life of cancers are lifestyle related. My dad was going through a lifestyle related cancer and I don't drink or smoke, but I was like, my goodness, could I clear out Hotel Chocolara, you know, quite quickly. Um, and I think it was a, a moment of all of those coming together thinking, why don't you have health food in a vending machine? Then after all of that side of it, uh, or the emotional side of my dad eventually passing away and just sort of dealing with all of that, I look up 18 months later or whatever, and there's still no healthy food in a vending machine. So... Yeah. So, right that's on we go so that was that was literally the start of it so it was a bit sort of timing personal experience lifestyle and ultimately I think yeah exactly and now we're well at that early stage it was my dad dying caused that whole sort of aha moment with cause and effect you know he drank and had smoked and even though he'd stopped he still died from a lifestyle related cancer and I just thought, my goodness, you know, if we can encourage people to make a healthier swap, then maybe we get to someone who, like you said, with mental health, if we change one person that doesn't have to go through a tragedy or usually a health moment on themselves to make that swap, then we might actually start to help, you know, encourage people to have healthier lives and not have to go through that sort of hard moment themselves before they change. And that was that's that still is even now. It's one of my sort of big things, and you know, one of our the most exciting stories. And I always go back to him. I don't even know the chap's name, but we we're doing some sampling, and we ended up not even working with the company in the end. But I got this young kid off. He was doing like 10, 12 Red Bulls a day. And you're just like, out. <laughs> so we got onto a healthier yeah, alternative. Health and you're too, yeah. Exactly. You know, and I just think, oh my goodness, we could have just saved his life. We have no idea. I, it, it could be, you know, downing tons of alcohol in the meantime, but who knows? But it, I think it was just being able to make that small, again, back to the atomic habits, that small micro change, swap that for that. And you still enjoy something, but you feel better after it. And I, th I think that's so interesting, obviously, from some obviously really sorry to hear about your dad and that kind of personal experience, obviously, obviously, then kind of the birth of healthy nibbles. And then you recently, uh, you do the algae free snack box now. How did that kind of um, idea come about? Because 
I'll be really honest, I've always really kind of struggled to find algebraic snacks. You'd be searching online and I remember at the time I could only find one snack box, which was um, quite expensive. Um, so how did that kind of idea kind of come about then to kind of launch um, algebraic snacks? So we had the vending machines um, about a couple of years into the journey. We started doing snack box for corporates. COVID obviously was that monumental sort of vending machines died to death. Corporates then moved these boxes into individual boxes for their team. That presented the first sort of immediate moment where, again, it was one of these where lots of little bits of information fed into the development of this. Um, Large companies. So I remember one of the first clients that chose to do wellness boxes um, literally a week after COVID and they had 750 employees. And he was like, so what's your dietary requirements there? And he's like, I don't know. And I really don't have the time or inclination to go find out. Understandable with 750 people. Um, so we created a vegan and a nut-free box as a hybrid of a couple of different boxes that we already had. But that wasn't really, you know, obviously, like we mentioned, I know I know Julianne, Um that didn't really suit exactly what we needed in as much as it still had may contains. There was still a few other allergies in there as well. Um, but it was a starting point was having this sort of vegan nut free hybrid. Um, then as the, the impact of COVID, COVID, we ended up with more clients in, um, global conferencing that were trying to have this sort of tangible touch point. So these conferences that had gone from, you know, the usual very, quite a lot of them are sort of quite heavily um, invested in. They were moving to Zoom platforms and things like that. But then obviously you need to do something tangible and exciting to try and maintain that sort of enthusiasm. So we started to do more and more conference packs. And again, the same sort of questions came up. How are we dealing with allergies? What are we doing? So we then decided that we would do um, a 14 allergen safe free from with no may contains um it has been really well received obviously i'm sure you you know the stats probably way more than i but uh, you know two and a half million sufferers in the uk um with allergies so it was it's very much needed and the more i looked into it the more i realized that actually people don't really take it seriously and i think at the same time um julianne had actually been on one of these programs i think it was food unwrapped or something similar and they'd sent a bunch of people that all had various different allergies and they were given yeah. I was on the, I was on the I was one of those people <laughs> were you you know where you're yeah. given copious amounts of sort of you know read this thesis basically on ingredients and try and work out for yourself and you know just seeing it from that perspective plus you know I've been working with Julianne for years now anyway seeing her experiences and then just seeing the demand rising. I just thought, you know, this needs to happen. It needs to be something that you can buy and give your kids and not think, oh my goodness, are they going to, you know, is something going to happen? Um, yeah, so that's that's what we did. And I think it, I think it must have helped as well. Like obviously working with um, or having a close relationship with Julianne because obviously she has multiple allergies and obviously she showed up self creative nature, but for her to kind of share her experiences and her personal experiences, because I feel like sometimes if someone doesn't have a personal kind of experience with allergies, then they probably, they probably don't know how serious it potentially could be. So it must have, must have like really helps obviously kind of speaking with Julianne and kind of sharing each other's kind of insights and experiences. 
It did. And I think there were a number of things that I think going back to why we created this business and the authenticity behind it, um, you know, the the tragic um, sort of experience that led to Natasha's Law with Pret and things like that. So, you know, looking at all of those different influences, there's that going on. You've got companies not having a clue who their staff are. You've got Julianne with doing the amazing work she's doing at Creative Nature. Um, all of those different things just kind of fed into, into the development of this, that actually there does need to be more transparency. If you're providing food, if you are, you know, we demand it of everybody else. Um, we demand it of our standard suppliers in terms of we're going through the B Corp accreditation at the moment. So we look at fair wages and diversity and inclusion of the founding teams and um, we don't do palm oil. You know, we're, we've got rid of all unsustainable palm oil in any product. And by mid this year, we'll have got rid of even the sustainable element. So we're putting so much effort and energy into making sure that these products that we had were so authentic that your cacao farmer in Ecuador was paid the right salary. But then we're missing a two and a half million person audience that is in desperate need for just being able to get easy snacks. It shouldn't be that challenging. But it, but it- yeah, it really is. It, like, there's a few brands that obviously come to mind, like Creative Nature and Nomo, and I think the Happy Snack company is one of them as well i mean these are the ones but i mean which kind of come to the top of mind um and i've got an allergy so what did you did you find it actually quite hard to kind of dig out these companies um which kind of cater for people with allergies in the top 14 did you find it quite hard to find these brands yes we did on some of them it, it was great to start off with we've got some really really cool ones that we're working with anyway so there was um eat real um as you say creative nature nomo those brands that were kind of at the forefront of this journey, um, I would say, so typically our boxes will change every two months um, anyway, unless somebody's on, we've got like a group of people that are on subscription that they change monthly or weekly, depending on their subscription. Yeah. Um, I think where we have struggled is finding the the product diversity to replace all of those products. So we try and replace 50% of a box every single change so that whoever's receiving it is receiving something fresh. They're going on this journey of um, snacking choices. We can't do that at the moment with um, the free from box. And that's because we've chosen to not step into the may contains area. This has to be the the fundamental purpose of this box is that if you've got an allergy, you you can safely buy it for yourself or for a team member or for your whatever. And you know that you're not going to be causing any harm in any way. And I think at the moment there are still like, we had some organic, organic mango and it's absolutely phenomenal. It only has organic mango. It's got no sulfate, anything. But because it couldn't guarantee that it was free from, we haven't been able to include it. So there's a number of products that I'm just hoping over time um, will tighten up some of their manufacturing process and who they partner with so that there's some, you know, really, really amazing products. And there are some more coming to light. There are more coming out there that are sort of adopting this approach. But it is more costly for everybody. So therefore, there is the impact. So, um, but... Yeah, it, it does take a little bit of um, hunting around. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's so important because 
I remember over lockdown, I actively was trying to find uh, LG3 Snapbots, which I did, and I found uh, another kind of Snapbot brand. However, the products they had in the box had may contain, and I knew this from just looking at the products. I was like, I knew that product, even though it is free from the allergy, I know it's got a may contain label or warning on the back, and I would never eat anything what says may contain um and i'm a massive advocate for other people of allergies not to eat anything what says may contain so i think it's great um from kind of healthy nibbles so obviously to actually create a snack box which doesn't have the kind of the may contain label because like i said i think i feel like it is so important yeah i just felt if we we're going to go if we we're going to do this we have to do it in a again just coming back to um that sort of element that underpins everything that we keep talking about but the authenticity element if we're going to do a free from, make it free from. If we're not, then don't don't profess to do it. So it just means we've got to be get our little sort of food scouts out there doing more and more searches and just, yeah. you know. But actually, part of what we do as a business, yes, we've got this sort of, you know, the healthy eating solution that is front facing. But behind the scenes, we're a massive advocate of businesses that are creating food. So we do an awful lot of... I wouldn't say consultancy because it's not, it's just mentoring. It's just supporting food producers that are on that journey, food entrepreneurs that are out there where we encourage them to look at different markets. And that's part of what our vending machines and our wellness hubs are doing and snack boxes is that they provide an opportunity for these food producers to come and test, you know, so quite often we'll do sampling and things like that through our boxes. And it gives people an opportunity these food producers an opportunity to test without going into a high risk sort of environment um and i think that that's really really important so um yeah we can kind of play it both ways so we can offer a really authentic product but at the same time we can encourage food entrepreneurs out there to look and explore these different markets and one of them that i think is growing exponentially is free from yeah i know yeah I've, um, i remember when i did a talk at the food matters live and um there was obviously kind of talking out the how it, over the last like few years, like the free from market has kind of absolutely exploded. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Make and Tame podcast today. Honestly, it's been so insightful to kind of get your experiences, obviously from being on Schnur, healthy nibbles, like mental health. Um, on it, I honestly, I really appreciated it. And I think this podcast is going to give so much value to the listeners today. I was going to say, if anyone wants to kind of follow you yourself or Healthy Nibbles online, are you okay to share the Instagram handles? Absolutely. So it's healthy.nibbles. <laughs> now you've got me on it. <laughs> Put you on the spot, yeah. Yeah. Healthynibbles.co.uk and our Instagram and all that sort of stuff is on there. <laughs> yeah but yeah <laughs> no I, I always i always say someone put me on the spot I'm like, uh, it's like, oh, what yeah, are no, thank you so much. 